the pressures around um, everybody in terms of their own personal finances and that sort of thing. Um, we, we are working in a competitive where there's a, you know, there isn't an, uh, an unlimited supply of people who would like to join this work. Yeah. Also, for those who want to do it vocationally, it is challenging. It is working in some of the more difficult areas within our community. And that's not everyone's bad. Welcome to the Bailiwick Express podcast. My name is Kit Hanna. We'll be joined each week by a guest for a series of podcasts. Each will shine a light on topics from across the Bailiwick. We'll have reviews, hot seat interviews and special guests. So stick with us as we offer some insight on some of the most important issues we in the Bailiwick face. Bailiwick Law Enforcement's annual report for 2021 has revealed a modest reduction in recorded crime compared to previous years. However, COVID and Brexit continue to cause disruption to the police and border agency. Resignations and retirements are up, whilst in-island recruitment and retention are stagnant, all at a time where frontline services are already stretched. I sat down with the head of law enforcement, Rory Hardy, to gather some insight on all these challenges and more. Why has it been so difficult to recruit staff over the past two years, let's say? Okay, so um, one of the reasons that during the pandemic, we planned a number of um, rounds of recruitment. But because of the pandemic, um, our recruitment process is is fairly long-winded. We have to do assessment centres. We have to bring people together to do role-play exercises, group interaction, because the skills you need for law enforcement, um, we we do do quite a robust process before we recruit people into the organisation. So we had some delays and we had a number of recruitment sessions that we had to cancel just because we couldn't run them. Mm. Um, we also unfortunately lost uh, through retirement, through resignation, uh, a number of members of staff. So where we would have run recruitment processes to fill gaps from attrition, we were unable to do so. Mm. And that, uh, over a period of about 18 months, um, hit us very hard. Um, We have now, post-2021, obviously into this year, 2022, run a number of recruitment processes. We have recruited in policing, some transferees from UK forces. And there have also been occasions where we brought in seconded officers Mm. from the UK to help us with short-term gaps. So, for example, where we've had to do local training, We've had abstractions over the summer period where we have a rise in operational requirement. But also we have staff who need to have their leave and that sort of thing. And we had to just bring in some additional resource to make sure we had enough frontline operational staff to keep our frontline operational work uh, appropriately resourced. But I think Guernsey is a very challenging labour market. Mm. I think... um, the pressures around um, everybody in terms of their own personal finances and that sort of thing. Um, we, we are working in a competitive where there's a, you know, there isn't an, uh, an unlimited supply of people who would like to join this work. Yes. Also, for those who want to do it vocationally, it is challenging. It is working in some of the more difficult areas within our community. And that's not everyone's bag. Um, the people who do join, the people who do thrive, really have that vocational element to it and they want to make a difference. And I think law enforcement can offer, offer a whole variety of different careers. From Obviously, um, some of it is more investigative, 
more intelligence-led, some of it is frontline operational work. So, for example, working on the borders, engaging with people coming across borders, dealing with frontline operational policing. It's that huge variety of work. And sometimes we recruit people who think that work will be right for them, mm. and it isn't. And sometimes, you know, not everybody stays for the career that we hope they would have. So um, it is a challenging the, the picture around recruitment, the picture around retention, there's not one specific area that if you fix that area would solve the problem. So what I would say is we are looking to recruit again in 2023. Um, we've done a lot of uh, recruitment attempts in 2022, uh, but 2021 really coming off the back end of the pandemic was a very difficult environment. Uh, how have you had to adapt your sort of recruitment drives and campaigns? Because obviously there has been various iterations test it out if it doesn't work move on so yeah what's the kind of methodology or the thinking behind you know getting more people in the door and keeping them here yeah i mean i think within a small island community recruiting local applicants um has been a challenge mm-hmm. um we tried to vary uh, our public uh, you know the way we've appealed to the public you know like a career like no other and um, we've tried to get offices who work within the organization to do testimonies um, word of mouth in a small jurisdiction is also a, a good way of um, getting people to apply. And one of the things that we've done recently is invite people to come and join us, to do a ride around, do shifts, come and actually talk to some of the staff. Mm. And I think one of the real positives about working within law enforcement is that we, once people are working in the organisation, they see we really do support one another because we understand the complexity of the work. We understand at times how difficult the work can be. In my annual report, I refer to uh, some of the impact on staff and how, you know, coming to work, you, you don't know what you're going to deal with when you turn up to start your day's work or your night's work. And it can vary from something very straightforward and simple that's no impact on you at all when you can then suddenly be dealing with something that really can be quite difficult from a suicide, a really serious road traffic collision, working with other blue light services. And of course, that does have impact on people seeing and dealing with some of those things. Some of the offences we have to investigate, child abuse offences, domestic abuse. You know, we see those bigger pictures and um, it, it is challenging work. But part of my job is to make sure we've got the support there for staff dealing with that kind of work. Sometimes it can be long hours sometimes having to respond to um, investigations or dealing with complex, protracted investigations at short notice. It could have a massive impact on people's personal commitments and personal lives. But, you know, that's all part of the, the work we have to deal with. Right. And um, sort of maybe taking it back less serious, the neighbourhood policing element. I know some of this has been this year, but I yep. assume it's been going on last year. There's been suggestions of problem kids or a problem year group in the current schools uh what are the challenges with that i assume that staffing plays a lot into some of the issues resource issues that have been affecting the police but where are we now with sort of neighborhood policing say from 2020 to 2021 and indeed with the pandemic okay so breaking down the first part of your question dealing with some of our uh, more challenging cohorts of young people um we work in partnership with other stakeholders around it. So education, youth commission, mm. sports commission. There are a whole host of other bodies in Guernsey that if we can bring them together and we can all be aware of the information or the concerns and what the problems are, 
that sort of multi-stakeholder impacts, and I include social services in that, mm. um, are some of the issues that we've been dealing with. Um, it is complex because obviously we've got a responsibility around safeguarding. We've got a responsibility around uh, missing people, particularly missing people who are young people who may have additional risks and concerns. Mm. But we have to continue to deal with that. But in terms of the problem solving, it's a wider number of organisations that have to help. With some of the pressure on our numbers, our neighbourhood policing team has been uh, not as strong as we would hope. Uh, we've recently appointed a new sergeant into neighbourhood policing to really start that whole process of um, building again the engagement with other agencies, dealing with some of those problems. It's about preventing problems becoming not as big or as complex, trying to deal with things early. Mm. So it's engagement with schools, engagement with youth groups, um, engagement with the, the constables, the parishes, all that kind of work is hugely important. Um, if I had a brand new box of police officers and I could just open that box and pull them out, mm. I would put some of that resource definitely into more neighbourhood policing officers. I would. But um, as the report reflects, the numbers we've been working with, the necessity to make sure we're policing against risk, which is what is the real issue that, you know, we need to try and get across to our community that, you know, safeguarding, public protection, uh, dealing with vulnerability, mental health, all those sorts of areas. Um, the, the pressures on us are huge, but we will continue to, to manage our resource against the risks to harm, the risk to crime and also um, the risk to the wider public as well. Domestic abuse, there seems to be an increase in that 2020, 2021. I'm not going to presume what I might think the reason is, but if you could maybe give some context as to why that is, and that's obviously quite a big segment of crimes committed yeah. because it is domestic abuse. I think as a community, as a society, the understanding around domestic abuse um, is becoming greater. Mm. Um, one of the pieces of work we highlight in the report is Operation Encompass, where we're sharing information with education around young people who have potentially been witnesses to or involved in a domestic abuse situation. And I think society is slowly understanding the huge impact domestic abuse has. It has impact, obviously, on those people who are in abusive relationships, who are victims of abuse, impact on perpetrators, impact on their families, impact on people's employment, on their education, on their health, the whole, um, the whole environment of domestic abuse is something that people are becoming more aware of. Um, within policing, for example, later this year, we've got a huge piece of training planned for our officers to really drill down more into the coercive and controlling behaviour elements of domestic abuse, to look into the more, uh, you know, it's not just about um, one party punching another party in a domestic situation. It is so much more complicated than that. Mm. It's so much more serious than just what was perceived domestic abuse years ago. And that's what I think is changing. People are more willing to support. There are excellent other agencies are working in that space as well, like SAFER, mm. which are providing support. Um, we obviously have a refuge which allows people to come out of potentially really harmful domestic situations to a place of safety to give them space to try and find their feet and find a way out of what is a very difficult situation. 
But I think there's still a lot of work to do on in that space mm-hmm. and uh, prevent domestic abuse, educate people about what are acceptable and unacceptable behaviours, particularly in young people who will be growing up, going into relationships. And, you know, you talk about some of the problem cohorts of young people. Um, there are some very worrying trends and behaviours we see in some of those young people that we fear will lead on to some of them probably ending up in abusive relationships, whether as victims or as abusers. Mm. And it's trying to break that cycle through education and through support that is, is a massive challenge. Of course, they've been legislated for recently. We have the justice framework. It's been approved. Children's law is hopefully going to be discussed uh, in the States yep. this week if they get around to it. Uh, yeah. uh, but those are all things you know that you can see coming from law enforcement, coming from politicians and civil service yep. trying to address this and there are there are, does seem to be provisions in there for education and raising awareness yes about that so that's all good yep okay this is just a quick one i noticed 10 poisonings in the statistics uh what are those related to is that spiking is that um, is it spiking, or spiking and or maybe you know alcohol drink spiking as well yes. as drug spiking yeah. but um we, we have a new testing regime around drink spiking. So when anyone alleges that they have a, been through a drink spike, providing they're within the window that allows us to test, we do test. Um, at the moment, um, the evidence we seem to see is that it is possible that people have had their drink spike with additional alcohol. Mm-hmm. But with regards to drugs that may be used to spike, we haven't had any concrete evidence of, of seeing a specific drug being used. But unfortunately, we fear that alcohol probably is the primary uh, cause of vulnerability. Right. And I think certainly when you look at the area of sexual offences and consent and people's ability to consent, um, I think intoxication through alcohol, for example, is one of the big areas that still uh, causes huge vulnerability to people. Mm-hmm. And that, um, you know, some of our sexual offences or allegations are very much driven through victims being unable to consent because of intoxication. Quite rightly, they should report that. and Quite rightly, we will investigate them. Good. Thank you. That was just a quick one. Okay, Um, Immigration application increase. I think it was 200, 250 plus percent um, in increase in processing applications last year. And then obviously we've recently had population policy letter out from Home Affairs, and I know you obviously work very closely with Home Affairs, but how does that, what, what are their suggestions or their, the implications of, say, net 300 plus into the island mm-hmm. to sustain the workforce? What implications is that going to have on Well, the, the growth in population is a, a political issue rather yes. than an enforcement issue. We'll continue to process applications for people who apply under the law and apply under the appropriate Um, ability for us to allow people to come to the jurisdiction to work. I think what it does demonstrate is it does demonstrate how tight the labour market is here and that, you know, other businesses and industries are able to bring in people under short-term contracts and short-term immigration to to just get their businesses to run, particularly in hospitality. Um, As an organisation, our commitment is to try and turn around these applications as as quickly as possible and as efficiently as possible because we know businesses are dependent on that type of labour. Sometimes there are delays. Um, I would like to highlight that sometimes the delays are not the fault of uh, customs and immigration because it's probably down to the information the individual may be supplying Mm -hmm. or it may be there may be concerns as to the legitimacy of the information they're supplying in order to try and come in. 
So we do have a duty to make sure we're doing due diligence around who we allow to come into work and that they are um, appropriate applications under the law. But um, I think going forward, there's far more work will be going on between population management and immigration to try and streamline and make more efficient those processes because we absolutely get that business and commerce is reliant on us getting those pieces of work undertaken in an efficient way. Thank you. Um, If I could move on to drugs now, just at the end, just while we have a bit of time. So I noticed there's been a 2020-21, there's approximately 1.4 million reduction in Class B seizures, particularly for cannabis and cannabis resin. Yes. Um, That... The total seized for 2021 is 1.3 million down overall. Yep. Um, so obviously the, the cannabis resin forms a huge part of that 1. Uh, that 1.3 million on Class B. Uh, so and obviously recently we've had much wider proliferation of medicinal cannabis. So what are the challenges with cannabis policing now that there? I don't want to presage this, but I would imagine that there's a lot more cannabis in yep. Islanders' hands than there might ever have been. So, um, first of all, dealing on the value of seizures, sure. 2020-2021, obviously travel was hugely down, and the ability of organised crime to disguise large quantity commercial importations was significantly reduced. Mm. And what you, we've seen through the statistics is a large number of small personal yes. importations, more, more likely organised via the dark web, which customs officers have picked up at predominantly postal or courier-related deliveries into the island. Mm. So because of the pandemic, we didn't see as many large-scale commercial-type importations. It was very much down to individuals bringing small amounts in. I absolutely accept that the introduction of medicinal cannabis has provided an alternative method upon which cannabis is getting into our community. When it was initially proposed under the NICE guidelines, the the, um, predictions of the numbers of our population who would be prescribing to medicinal cannabis was very, very small. Mm -hmm. The numbers who actually are now is significantly well above expectations when they first looked at it, Mm -hmm. hugely above. Yeah. We have seen evidence of people who use while prescribing this cannabis using that outside the terms and conditions of that use. Mm. Um, It is causing us an increased concern and it is highly likely that prescriptive cannabis is finding its way into the illegal market. Yes. However, we will continue to police it. And if we find individuals who are breaching the terms of their prescribing, Mm. we will take the appropriate action. Mm. I suppose another kind of modern challenge is this. I, I go to court very often and I, there's an increase, it seems to be an increase in sort of vape bottles and these synthetic cannabinoids getting yes. in, which yeah. is probably, I would imagine, easier to attempt to bring into the island or cross a border. Yeah. So that matched with this yeah. sort of secondary black market from medicinal cannabis, I can imagine is great. And I would just like to put very publicly yeah. that some of the vape um, cannabis, synthetic cannabinoid substances mm. are exceptionally toxic and dangerous. And um, people using them and procuring them illegally are 
potentially putting themselves at significant risk because they may not necessarily fully understand the toxicity and the chemicals which are contained within some of these products and they are potentially posing huge risks. So like any illegal drugs, um, one of the reasons that we are very strong on trying to protect our communities is these substances can cause significant harm and they aren't necessarily prepared by legitimate drug companies or people who have the appropriate controls and regulation to make sure what it says on the tin is exactly what it is. And people are potentially putting themselves at huge risk. So we will continue to do everything we can to stop substances like that getting into our community because it could cause serious harm. It's the same as ecstasy tablets and things like that. that People think, oh, I'll just take one and I'll be fine. And we've seen locally... Um, the risk that can be posed from uh, using illegal substances like that. That's why we do the job we do, because we're trying to keep everybody safe. Thank you for listening to the Bailiwick Express podcast. The title track was Shift My Weight by Luna. If you enjoyed it, please like and subscribe. And remember, you can always head to bailiwickexpress.com to stay right up to date with whatever is happening in the Bailiwick. You can find us online, on social, on email and on internet radio. There'll be more from me, Kit Hanna and the Bailiwick Express news team next week.